Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 60, San Hagen versus Song, because it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the former title challenger, Corey Sanhagen, a guy that a lot of people said at one point would be a future world champion, taking on another young phenom in Song Yudong, who many have also said might be a future world champion and have also gone as far as saying might be the first male Chinese fighter, male Chinese champion in UFC history. Because I know my girl Zhang Wiley won that belt, so he wouldn't be the first Chinese champion, but maybe the first male Chinese champion. So lots to talk about, hell of a main event. And also on the card, Initially, we had Sodik Yusuf uh, taking on Giga Chikadze. That fight fell off, but still got Chidi and Jaquani versus Gregory Hobocop Rodriguez. Got Feely and Algio. So we got a lot to talk about. And there's a prospect I really, really like early on on the card named Daniel Zill Huber. So going to talk about the whole card. So everybody smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, retweet, let everybody know we're live. And uh, without further ado, Let's get down to business because the main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division scheduled for five rounds. We got the former title challenger, Corey Sanhagen. He's 14 and four representing the U S taking on song. Yadong, who's 19, six and one representing China. And currently they got it. Corey Sanhagen minus we're going to be uh, quoting DraftKings today. Cause thank you. DraftKings. They're sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. We got it. Minus one ninety five. Corey Sanhagen, the comeback on Song Yudong is plus 165. So for me, those odds do stick out. You know, I uh, understand the respect that Corey has because people hold him in very high regard. And, you know, prior to those two losses, people were saying this guy's the future of the division. Even after the current champ, Aljamain Sterling, got him out of there in under a minute, people were still saying that Corey Sanhagen was the future of the division. And then he went out there, starched Frankie Edgar, you know, first flying knee through under a minute, gets him out of there. It was almost like people forgot about the Aljamain Sterling fight. And then the TJ Dillashaw fight happened. And, you know, a lot of people say it's a robbery, this and that. As someone who bet on Corey Sanhagen in that fight, let me tell you what my perspective was going to the judges' scorecard. So I thought we did enough to win the fight, but I was like, if Corey Sanhagen loses this fight, He's got no one to blame but himself because as the fight was going on, I kept, I was like screaming at the TV, like, Corey, stop fucking around. Like, I'm thinking you got this guy in TJ Dillashaw who's coming off a two-year, not even a steroid suspension, an EPO suspension, got knocked out his last fight against Cejudo. Like, let's go out there. Let's flying knee this guy. Let's get this guy out of there. Let's make a statement that, hey, like, you are ready to, to truly fight for a title and potentially be a champion. And I saw, you know, I did see obviously some skill there. I mean, you know, he arguably won the fight, but I saw a lot of immaturity. I saw a lot of cockiness, a lot of arrogance. And basically, I felt like Corey Sanhagen got in his own way in that fight, was getting pinned up against the fence too much, was just playing around. And I just didn't like it. And even if, again, even if he would have walked away with the win there, it was, it did not go down. I was not expecting a split decision type fight. I was expecting, a starching. I was expecting a welcome back to the UFC and pack your bags type performance. And that's just not what it was. So, you know, again, 
let's say let's just for argument's sake say that uh Corey Sanhagen beat TJ Dillashaw. Still very underwhelming for the kind of standard we held for Corey Sanhagen. But what he does bring to the table is you know, we were calling him the output king for the Bantamweight division. I mean, his output's insane. You know, lands nearly 6.5 strikes per minute, which is ridiculous. You know, he switches his stances a lot. And obviously, you guys know that guys like him, guys like TJ Dillashaw, they model their styles after the great Dominic Cruz, but they kind of created their own thing with it. I mean, when you're dealing with a guy like Sanhagen, he's got, he's five foot 11 at 135 pounds. That's like the equivalent of being a six foot three, one fifty five, or he's got a seventy inch reach. He's a he's a big boy for that weight class, big in terms of length. But with that, it means he's very skinny. It means he can be chopped down. And I do question, not necessarily how he reacts to damage, because I know he's got an insane chin. Even when you date back to the Yuri Alcantara fight, like where he was just getting smashed, and even the Peter Yan fight, he's able to absorb these ridiculous strikes. He did get dropped a few times, but the guy's tough as nails, but the guy definitely wears damage, and as the years progress, I'm just wondering, you're, you're going up against a very, very heavy hitter here, Song Yedong, you know, are you going to be able to wear this damage as well? And the, another thing that's interesting about it is that the output isn't necessarily low isn't necessarily low on the Yadong side, you know, because usually San Hagen has this massive output advantage, usually doubles up everyone he fights on output. And that's just not the case here, man. I mean, like we have a sample size of Song Yadong going three rounds with Casey Kenny landing 116 strikes. And that, that's three rounds, right? Now we got five rounds to work with where obviously two more rounds to, to land even more strikes, landed over 100 strikes against Marlon Vera. So we got two, two examples against two pretty decent uh, fighters where he's landed over 100 significant strikes in three rounds so i think the output's there obviously Corey sanhagen is gonna be getting off on more output no no questions asked but it's just about who's gonna be landing the better quality of strikes here like if if the output not necessarily is relatively the same like let's say Corey's kind of ahead on strikes for sure which i expect him to be but i don't expect him to be ahead on power strikes i don't expect him to to be ahead on you know big moments right like and i could be wrong about that you know a big flying knee could drop song yadong maybe a high kick you know kyler phillips did catch him with a high kick in that fight which song yadong ate he's got a block head man he's got a ridiculous chin uh but i think or at least i hope because i took the odds on song yadong here at plus 175 i mean i thought they were good odds on, on a kid like this who you know i remember he was like 19 for like five years in a row and you just always had a lot of promise. And, you know, back to the argument's sake type of shit we were talking about. Like, you know, we were talking about TJ Dillashaw versus uh, Corey Sanhagen. For Corey Sanhagen, another controversial fight was the Marlon Chito Vera versus uh, Song Yedong fight. And that's fine if you scored it for Cheeto. It's not a big deal because we all know third round Cheeto is, you know, a motherfucker. And that, that third round, Cheeto turns up on everybody. Not only that, Cheeto has the most finishes in UFC Bantamweight history. That's just a fact. Wasn't able to get Song out of there. But what I take away from that is the output was there. And I need someone with output against Corey Sanhagen. If you don't have the output against Corey Sanhagen, you don't even have a fighting chance. I mean, obviously, anybody could get clipped, four-ounce gloves, right? And Song Yudong does crack. But if we want, like, a realistic chance that's not just banking on a knockout, we need serious output. And I think that Song Yudong has 
output enough to that not necessarily match him on the numbers. Like I think at the end of the day, Corey Sanhagen is going to be up on the numbers, but I think that Song has enough output to where he can make his hard shots count to where that can sway the judges, assuming that there's no knockout on either side. Like I'm talking in terms of if this goes five rounds, that's how I would see a uh, song winning, you know, with the bigger moments, landing the bigger shots, maybe getting a knockdown here and there, maybe wobbling him. But on the flip side, Corey Sanhagen, we know exactly how he'd win, assuming there's no finish, you know, double him up on strikes, right? You know, um, so it's a very, very intriguing fight. And Sanhagen, he's had a year off, so I expect him to come out here and look a lot better, you know. Um, he's also a young kid. They're both super young. I mean, one was born in 1997. Song Yenong is the real young guy. But, again, it just comes down to the odds for me always. Um, I think the number is the most important thing, and I felt like I got a good number on Song Yudong at plus 175. So I was willing to roll the dice, put one unit on it, and and see what happens. You know, nothing's going to surprise me here. I respect Corey Sanhagen. I think he's fantastic. Um, someone said it's a big step up for Song. I guess. I mean, he's he beat Chito Vera. He's been in there with tough guys. I'd say arguably he's got better wins than than Corey Sanhagen. Who's the best guy Sanhagen's beat? The legendary Frankie Edgar, Marlon Moraes. Song also knocked out Marlon Moraes, you know. So, and I love Frankie, but Frankie's forty, man. This ain't this ain't the same Frankie that dethroned the, uh, you know, the great BJ Penn, right? So, yeah, I think uh, I just think that the odds should be closer. You know, and and Vegas agreed with me. I mean, they opened at minus one sixty. Corey Sanhagen, it just got steamed. The kid, despite the two losses, still has a ton of hype. People still hold him in very very high regard, and rightfully so. He's super talented. He's a cerebral kid. He's got a plethora of offense. You know, the his arsenal striking wise is definitely there. You know, physicality wise, obviously the length and the height and the reach is there, but you know. He can definitely be muscled and bullied around. He can definitely be taken down. But he does create scrambles on the ground. He will attempt submissions, so that'll be interesting to see. If Song Yudong does take him down, will Song be able to hold him down? Or will, you know, Corey, you know, he had a nice, like, reverse triangle attempt uh, in that uh, TJ Dillashaw fight. So that'll be interesting to see. And my boy Leo's already getting involved. First fight of the night, and he's barking. So if he's barking, that means the dog's live. So yeah, I put one unit on uh, Song Yudong plus one seventy five. If we don't get a knockout, then what I'm hoping happens is that he not necessarily matches Corey on volume, but lands enough volume to where he makes his bigger strikes count. And similar to the Peter Yan fight, I know he's a completely different fighter than Peter Yan, but just have those big moments, wobble him from time to time, get a knockdown make it look like the strikes that Corey Sanhagen's landing is not affecting him whatsoever. So it's all going to come down if this fight goes the distance to, to how the judges perceive what's going on. And if it's that close, then I got to go plus 175 uh, Song Yudong. So hopefully I'm right about that, but we'll see. You know, you got to give Corey Sanhagen a lot of respect. He's ultra talented. He's number three in the world for a reason. So, you know, nothing would surprise me here, but I like plus 175 on Song Yudong. I think those are good odds. And, yeah, I put uh, one unit on it. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got Chidi Njokuwani. Uh, Chidi Njokuwani. He's 22-7, and seven, taking on Gregory Hobokop Rodriguez, who's 22-4. and four. Currently, they got it um, minus 110 apiece. So, dead pick them. And, and, and I get why. I think this is I think this is a fantastic fight. 
So Gregory Hobokop, man, the dude is a banger. You know, the guy literally will stand in the pocket with anybody, you know, trade overhand rights to left hooks. He's got big leg kicks. He's a powerful, just physical presence inside the octagon. Both guys are black belts in jujitsu. More people hold Gregory Rodriguez's black belt in higher regard, which I understand because back in the day, Chitty did used to have a lot of issues on the mat, you know dating back to his Bellator days, you remember the Koreshkov fight and a couple of these other fights where he'd either get pinned up against the fence for extended periods of time or even getting taken down and getting pounded out. But it seems to me like Chitty, like in the UFC, like he's been putting it together. Like I've been waiting for him because like in Bellator, it was the criticism I always had for Chitty was like, man, this guy is ultra talented, but like he's kind of underwhelming for how good he is. Like, I remember, like, I max bet Chidi against Melvin Gillard, right? And if you look at their face off, you know, one guy is six foot three with an 80 inch reach. The other guy is five foot nine, right? It's a lightweight versus a middleweight. I was thinking that, you know, Chidi, let's just go out there and, you know, knock him out with the first punch, you know, knock him out in the first exchange, knock him out in the first round at least. And even then, don't get me wrong, it was a beatdown. It was a 30 24, it was a 30 25, but like, I was even underwhelmed you know, cashing a max bet winner there. I was thinking that he was going to get him out of there. No problem. So I used to think he was kind of underwhelming um, for how talented and how physical he is. And you know what I think of him, you know what I think he can be, especially like if y'all are former WC fans like myself, you remember his brother, Anthony Njikwani. Remember when Anthony Njikwani won three straight knockout of the night awards back to back to back, like, Anthony Njikwani was the fucking man. He came to the UFC, had this amazing fight with Edson Barboza, then kind of, you know, fell off a little bit. But Anthony Njikwani was the man at one point. Like back in the WEC, it was always um, Benson Henderson, Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Anthony Njikwani, and Shane Roller. Like those were like the top five lightweights in the WEC at the time. So as a result of Anthony Njikwani's success, I always heard about his brother, Chidi. And like I said, Chidi's always been ultra talented. He was just kind of like underwhelming at times. And there were certain things that need to be patched up. But I think he has patched those things up. Evidence of these first two UFC fights. Now, some could say, you know, small sample size. These fights didn't last that long. But I don't see anybody else knocking out Burial with one punch. And Dushko, like, even though even the fight Dushko got knocked out against Puna Haley, like, he's still trying to get back up. Like, he's still, you know trying to fight back and the ref kind of mercifully stopped them stopped the fight whereas when Chidi landed that elbow on on dusko there wasn't no uh fighting back there wasn't no protest there wasn't no uh you know let let me take a few more let me prove that i'm still in there no nah, that shit was over with so Chidi Chidi's dangerous man he's very long i like how he fights but i like how gregory robocop fights too and i think a pick him is an appropriate price here with gregory you know sometimes the criticism for him is that one that he doesn't use his jujitsu as much as he should. But the second criticism for him is that, and this is a criticism as a betting man, not a criticism as a fan. As a fan, this is a compliment. The guy is super willing to go in the pocket and just bang it out with anybody. So as a fan, you got you fucking love that shit. But as a betting man, when you wanna, you know, take that path to least resistance to cash a ticket. You know for a fact that Robocow, he gives no he gives no fucks, man. He's gonna go out there and he's gonna put on a show. And that will leave him open to, you know, 
possibly getting clipped by a guy in Chidi who is as, you know, well-versed on the feet as he is. And not only that, has a five-inch reach advantage in the spot. Now we did see uh, RoboCop get knocked out by Jordan Williams on Contender Series, but I don't hold that against him like a lot of people do. Reason being, as I've talked about this many times, one, when you go life and death with everybody, when you stand and trade in the pocket with everybody, the chances of getting caught are just going to be there. Like, you're drawing a line in the sand. You know, you're doing that dick measuring contest. You're throwing chingasos in the air, man. And someone's going to get clipped. That's just how it goes with that style of fighting. But two, Jordan Williams at 85s is a different guy than Jordan Williams at um, at 70. At 70, the guy's got no chin. You know, the doctors told him he shouldn't fight at 70s because of his medical condition. You know, he has di diabetes and shouldn't be cutting weight and this and that. But at 85s, like, Jordan Williams had, like, a gritty close fight with Imavov. You guys see what Imavov has been doing lately. And Jordan Williams knocked out Robocop. So I think Jordan Williams at 85s and at 70 is two different people. That's why I don't hold that loss against him like many people do. And not to mention, it's just that style. You go toe-to-toe -to -toe with every single guy you fight, and chances are you might lose. And in that Petrosian fight, watching it live, I thought that Robocop won that fight. But again, it's back to the betting man criticism you have of him where he doesn't take that path to least resistance. Like you're in there with this like K1 striker or whatever. We know that his ground game is probably his weakness. Like, but he's like, you know what? I, I wanna I wanna stand and bang. He has the I wanna stand and bang with Paul Daly approach, which as a fan we love, but as a betting man, it's it's hard to back. Um, I'm not saying he can't win this fight. He can definitely win this fight. I think that he's I think he's fantastic. I think he's physical. I think he hits hard. I think he's got a black bone jujitsu. And with his style, anybody can win on any given night. But I think that actually Chitty might be slightly more reliable. So I'm gonna lean Chitty's way, but I don't know, man. I think it's accurate accurately lined to pick him. I think if you got dog money on either side, props to you. But here at here having to pay juice on both sides, I'm good on that. But I'll I'll slightly lean with uh, Chidi to to get it done. Featured bout in the featherweight division, we got Andre Touchy Feely. He's twenty one and nine, taking on Bill Senor Perfecto Algio, who's sixteen and six. And currently, according to DraftKings, they got it. Minus 125, Andre Feely. The comeback on Bill Algio is plus 105. Interestingly enough, there's another one that opened minus 160 for Bill Algio. Lots of action came in on Andre Feely to flip the line, and then action came back in on uh, Bill Algio. And I actually took Algio one unit at plus 115 uh, simply because I, I expect this to be a super competitive close fight. And in a coin flip fight, give me dog odds all day. And, you know, I can't sit here and confidently say that I think Bill's going to win because I think that Andre Feely is a formidable opponent. I think Andre Feely has been in there with the best of the best. He's had a very long UFC career. But Andre Feely, more often than not, doesn't really dominate too many people. You know, he has had some dominant performances. Don't get me wrong. I remember when he knocked out Gabriel Benitez. I remember when he... Um, Knocked out Shaman Marais. I remember when he dominated Daniel Pineda. So, you know, let's not sit here and act like those fights didn't happen. But for the most part, a lot of his fights are super closely contested. And this guy, Algio, is just kind of like, y'all ever seen Narcos, um, the show on Netflix? Like, if you watch the first season of Narcos, 
And I, th- I think it's even the first episode. And there was this quote, and I'm going to botch the quote, but it was something among the lines of, when a nuclear holocaust takes place, only the cockroaches survive. <laughs> and like this dude, Bill Algio, is so goddamn durable. He'll, he gets taken down eight times, but he'll get back up eight times too. And he's going to be in there for the whole fight. He's got insane volume. Um, he's very long for the weight class. So here's the thing. It's like Andre Feely is actually the younger guy, but I don't think Andre Feely is the younger guy in terms of mileage that he's taken. I think Andre Feely, I mean, when did Andre Feely make his UFC debut against Jeremy Larson? It was back in 2013. So we're approaching the 10-year mark of you know this UFC career for Andre Feely. He's been in there a long-ass time. He's competed with the best of the best, and you got to give him credit. He's long. He sets up his high kick nicely. He's got a good jab. One thing I've always liked about Feely, one, one thing I think has always been underrated about Feely is that blast double. I've seen him go out there and hit that blast double on D1 wrestlers, point in case, the Dennis Bermudez fight. So Andre Feely is not someone to be slept on. It's just that Andre Feely, when he does hit that takedown, it's not that his top control isn't good. It's just that at this level of the game, these guys know how to get up. These guys know how to sweep. You saw Sodi Yusuf go out there and hit that Kimura sweep on him. You see some of these other guys get right back up right away. And Algio is one of these guys that can scramble up to his feet. Now, the things that have haunted Algio in the past is, although he's as tall as he is, although he's got the reach that he does have, Back to the Corey Sanhagen fight, being that tall guy, he's kind of a skinny guy. So he can be there to be chopped down with calf kicks. But to his credit, he switches stances a lot. So it's going to be tricky to time those, and he can be taken down. So when he gets taken down here, there's going to be some pivotal moments. Like these are going to be the moments that decide the fight. I do think Andre Feely is going to hit some takedowns in this fight. But when that happens, is Bill Algio just accepting bottom position or is Algio scrambling back up, making Feely work for every single takedown? And from there, get off on, you know, get off two to one on strikes, you know, compared to Feely. Feely have a shot here and there, but Algio just kind of consistently pepper him with volume and kind of pull away down the stretch on the judges' scorecards. So again, I see it being a very close competitive fight, a coin flip fight. Now it might not play out like a coin flip fight, but going into it before the fact, I cap it as a coin flip fight. So with that said, I put one unit on Bill Algeo at plus 115 odds. I think he's trending in the right direction. I think he's paid his dues, not just in the UFC, but on the regional scene as well. I've had an interesting history with both guys, um, betting-wise. So with Bill Algeo, I uh, let's see. I bet on him against Spike uh, Carlisle, so I cashed there. I bet against him uh, with the Joe Anderson Brito fight. I lost there. And then speaking of Joe Anderson Brito, one of my biggest underdog hits of this year. I bet Joe Anderson Brito again his next fight against Feely. Cashed a plus two fifty. Um, I bet on Sodiq Yusuf against Feely. Cashed there. I bet on Shaman Marais against Feely. Lost there. I know I picked Feely against Bermuda. I'm not sure if I if I bet it or not. And I think I was on Calvin Cater against Feely when Calvin was a big dog making his UFC debut. I bet on Yair Rodriguez against Feely. Um, so I've got a long history uh, w- with Feely and kind of a, a growing history with Algeo. So I'm somewhat familiar with both. And just my intuition tells me it's going to be a close fight. 
just like most Feely fights are. If he if he doesn't get blown out the water, they're usually close fights. I don't think Aljo is going to blow him out the water. I kind of see it being 1-1 going in the third round, and who's going to kind of pull away late down the stretch? That remains to be seen. So in a fight like that, again, willing to roll the dice, take my chances, and put one unit at plus 115 on, uh, on Bill Aljo. So let's see what happens. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Alan Amadoski. He's 8-3, representing Macedonia. He's taking on newcomer Joseph Pfeiffer, who is 9-2, repping the United States of America. Currently, they got a Joe Pfeiffer minus 425. The comeback on Alan Amadoski is plus 340. So I know this seems like very, very easy money to a lot of people, and I get why, because it's like Alan Amadoski has not been impressive at all whatsoever. and you know, Dana White was very, very happy with Joe Pfeiffer. But let me put some context on that. I'm not trying to downplay Joe Pfeiffer. I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I do find him very entertaining. I think he's a hard hitter. I think he comes from a good camp. And I think he can get some stuff done. But if he's going to consistently be minus 400 in the UFC, there's going to be some good fade spots because I don't view him as a minus 400 kind of guy. Um you look at his fight right before his last contender series fight. I mean, we can say stuff about the Stoltzfus fight if we want, but, you know, flukes happen, injuries happen, but Stoltzfus still did pick him up and slam him. But it was an injury, whatever. We'll, we'll act like it wasn't that big of a deal. But the next fight, he takes on this 3-0 and guy, and I didn't like the volume from Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer got rocked against this random 3-0 and guy. Um, he's kind of like a brute. He's kind of like this big physical guy. He's a little bit on the slower side, but he's kind of makes up for it with his power. And Amadovsky, the thing is like pre UFC, Amadovsky was crushing cans too, right? It's just when you get to the UFC, that's a completely different level. And I think Pfeiffer is going to struggle in the UFC, just not in this matchup. I just personally wouldn't be laying minus 400 on a guy like Pfeiffer. I don't think that he's a minus 400 kind of guy. Um, now, every matchup is different, of course, and Amadovsky has been been horrendous in the UFC, so Pfeiffer probably gets it done here. But what I'm hoping happens, I hope Pfeiffer knocks him out in like the first exchange spectacularly, and then I hope Pfeiffer is a juiced favorite against someone that's actually good. And then we go in there and hammer those dog odds because I am not sold on Joe Pye for one bit. The reason that he was so hyped up is because every fight on that show he was on a contender series was so terrible that the fact that he actually knocked out his opponent, like that's all he had to do to stand out. And like up until the knockout, it was back and forth, man. Like he was given a position. He was ending up on his back. Like, it wasn't that great until the knockout. So, yeah, I, I kind of think he's a little bit overrated, and that's with all due respect. As a fan, I enjoy him. He's he's fun. He's a brute. He's exciting. He hits hard. But as a betting man, yeah, I ain't laying no minus 400 on no Joe Pfeiffer, dude, even if I think he's going to win this fight. So the best outcome here is for Joe Pfeiffer to come out here and knock this guy out, and then the next fight he fights someone that's actually somewhat decent, and we slam those dog odds. So that's what I'm hoping happens. So yeah, I'm gonna pick Joe Pfeiffer to win this fight, but you ain't gonna catch me dead laying no minus four twenty five on on a guy like that. Who 
if I had to compare him to another fighter, do y'all remember Kyle Stewart? I kind of think he's like a Kyle Stewart. Hits hard, a little bit on the slower side. The output isn't the best. Might be prone to gassing out down the stretch. Um, yeah, so I know it sounds like I'm shitting on Joe Pye for it. I just have to keep it real. He's minus 425 here. You know, if it was a pick em fight, we'd be having a, you know, I'd still be laying out all the details, but, you know, I, I think I'd come off less harsh. But minus 425, like, I need some fucking guarantees. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I think he wins this fight, and hopefully impressively, because next fight, that's when, uh, that's when I'm going to be interested in taking a dog look, depending who he fights. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Canada's Tanner Bozer. He's 28-1, taking on Rodrigo Nascimento, who is 8-1, representing Brazil. Currently, they got it. Tanner Bozer, minus 170. The comeback on Rodrigo Nascimento is plus 145. It's a tough one uh, for a couple reasons. So, Tanner Bozer, I kind of viewed him as like, when he first came to the UFC, I thought he was like the Canadian big country. But he was like a volume guy, which was interesting. And then he had a couple knockouts along the way. You know, the Philippe Lange one. He knocked out Pessoa too, right? Pretty sure he knocked out Pessoa. Yeah, he knocked out Pessoa. Um, and then with Rodrigo Nascimento, he looked really good on Contender Series with that arm triangle. Submitted Dante Mays easily. Chris Dawkins fight kind of got blown out the water. And I bet on Rodrigo Nascimento in the next fight against Alan Badeau. I thought Alan Badeau, you know, is probably, you know, on the lower caliber of fighters uh, in the, in heavyweight history. So I bet on him there. Rodrigo gave me a scare. He won that fight because he's actually got hard. He's, he was just a tougher dude, weathered a storm, a serious storm, and then came back and just broke the guy. But I don't think Tanner Bozer is necessarily going to break. It's just, to me, this fight comes down to where it takes place. You know, not that Tanner Bozer has this hole on the mat. It's just he's not a black belt like Rodrigo Nascimento. Rodrigo Nascimento takes his back. Rodrigo Nascimento full mounts him. And I think that Rodrigo, Rodrigo Nascimento can finish the fight there. Um, it's just on the feet. The chin of Rodrigo is questionable, you know, like not just the Dawkins fight, but like I mentioned, the aforementioned uh, Alan Badeau fight where he gave us all a scare that bet him there. You know, it, the same thing could happen here, man. And Tanner Bozer is a lot tougher than Alan Badeau. So I don't know. I'm not interested in laying the minus 170 on Bozer because if it hits the mat, I think he's outmatched there. But if he's able to keep it standing, it's most most likely going to piece him up. I say most likely because they're still heavyweights. And Rodrigo Nascimento is the bigger guy. He's got a five-inch reach advantage. And... A lot of people, funnily enough, were saying that Bozer should consider dropping to a light heavyweight, which I kind of find funny considering that he weighed in uh, 255 pounds his last fight. So I kind of disagree with that. But, yeah, I'm a lean Bozer, but I'm not sure, man. I, I really don't know. Now, this next one I also have a bet on um, in the middleweight division, kicking off the main car. We got Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who's nine and two taking on Mark Andre Barrio, who is 14 and five. And currently they got it. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez minus 175. The comeback on Mark Andre Barrio is plus 150. This is another one that opened a little bit closer. It opened minus 150 for Hernandez. The comeback on Barrio was plus 130, but you know, Hernandez did get steamed a little bit. And I get why he's looked very, very impressive his last few fights. Um, and Hernandez is a very gritty guy. You know, you got to give him a lot of credit. 
I'll never forget his contender series debut when he just went out there and just starched the Beverly Hills Ninja in the first exchange. Just, just walked him down, went right after him, and just knocked him out and got him out of there. But there's been some questionable performances since then, the next three fights. But then after that, he's been on a roll these last few. But I have seen, you know, in the Marcus Perez fight, in the John Young Park fight, in the Kevin Holland fight, there was some susceptibility to the body. Now, granted, he has looked in a little bit better shape uh, these last few fights. Not that he wasn't in good shape in the fights that he lost or whatever. It's just that I guess he upped his strength and conditioning program or, you know, just tried some new methods out or whatever. Uh, he's been looking good these last few fights. You know, submitted Rodolfo Vieira, which is obviously a feather in his cap. Um, you know, we can say it was due to fatigue and exhaustion, but still to submit a guy like that, even fatigued, is is, is a big deal. And it goes back to the, you know, kind of like the front headlock series that Anthony Hernandez has nasty guillotine, nasty anaconda, nasty darts. Like this guy gets on your neck. He can dangle off of it. And in that Josh Frem fight, I was there in attendance. And one thing I always like to talk about is these guys that can attempt takedown after takedown after takedown are matchup problems, especially up at middleweight. Like I, I usually talk about it down in lower weight classes. He attempted 11 takedowns against Josh Frem, but Mark Andre has had an issue with his takedown defense in the past. But I think that, his get-up game has been has been improving. And one thing I really like about Marc-Andre Barrio is that he got outside his comfort zone. You know, he was a guy that was training in Canada, in, in, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, you know, was eating his poutine every day. And, you know, he got outside his comfort zone and went to Sanford MMA. He's been there for the last year. And he's training with guys in his weight class. You know, RoboCop, who's on this card that he's fighting on. Brendan Allen, Gerald Mirchard's down there, too. I think uh, Phil Haas might have even stopped by for a few training sessions. So he's got really good training partners to work with. And you take a guy like that who's already, like, talented, and, and even the fights he lost early on in his UFC career – were like closely contested fights. There was just like something missing, right? Just like one ingredient missing. And I'm hoping the answer to that was, you know, this move to Sanford MMA because you look at the numbers. So we know the power has been there. The guy's a very heavy hitter, knockout artist, but he's got volume too. He's got output. I mean, for a middleweight in that Abu Azaitar fight, which didn't even see the final bell, he landed 141 significant strikes. Next fight against Dacha Lungjambula, who, you know, he may he may have had his ups and downs in the UFC, but he's still an African. He can still bang. He's still got big power. And Mark stood up and banged with him, landed 118 significant strikes. Cl got clipped against Chidi. Shit happens. And uh, Jordan Wright fight got him out of there in the first round exactly like you're supposed to. Maybe not as impressively as Fluffy did, but still, you're supposed to get that guy out of there in the first round. That's exactly what he did. So I was happy about that. So. I took Andre Barrio plus 155. I can't say I'm super confident, but what I can say is that I think it has the potential to be a, a very, very close fight. And I guess my biggest concern would be back to Barrio's early UFC fights where, you know, he could be grounded up against that fence. He could be taken down multiple times. I think he's been getting better in terms of maybe – Maybe he can still get taken down, but I think he, he can pop back up, and I think he can make you work a little bit harder. I think it's tougher to hold him down, and I think his cardio has improved a lot. I think he's got big output for the weight class, and I think he can fight at a really ridiculous pace, which is something you need to fight a guy like Fluffy Hernandez because Fluffy Hernandez, like, the dude can weather storms. The dude will be there, and then I'm hoping 
since I bet on Burial at plus 155 that he can attack the body of uh, Fluffy Hernandez, which is something that got exposed in his first three UFC fights. Um, against Maluco, ate a big body kick, then got his neck dangled off of. Against Zhang Young Park, got badly outclassed in the early going and then had, had a bit of a comeback win. And then the Kevin Holland fight, Kevin just went out there, attacked that body and got him out of there right away. So the path to victory for Fluffy is more on the grinding side of things and possibly setting, possibly finding a way to set up a submission. And from Burial is to make Fluffy work for the takedown attempts, get back up, make it hard to hold down, be greasy in there, and then start to attack the body, start to kind of pull away down the stretch with more output. So if this is one of these one-to-one going to the third round type fights, which I think it might be, then, you know, hopefully uh, I'm on the right side here with one unit on, on Burial at a plus 155. So let's see what happens. Um, it's a tough fight. It's just I like the odds. So, yeah, give me a burial plus one fifty five. Hopefully, hopefully he doesn't get grinded out here. Now, next up in the featherweight division. Actually, before we talk about that, I got to give a big shout out to our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. So, before I do that, everybody smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. I truly appreciate you all being here with me. Thank you very much. So, and also shout out to DraftKings for sponsoring today's episode of half the battle thank you DraftKings sportsbook so the nfl's opening week was action-packed and it's just getting started get ready for week two of touchdowns big plays and even bigger wins with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl this week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. You know, if you're me, you're going to bet on the the Falcons. Hopefully we get it if we get it if we get it done this time, excuse me. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Fight fans, DraftKings also has you covered. Don't forget about the highly anticipated uh, UFC Vegas 60 going down uh, this Saturday. And y'all already know there's going to be some really good spots on this card. Cheaty and and RoboCop, you know for a fact that someone might might hit the deck in that fight. You got Fluffy. If Fluffy comes out here, hits some takedowns, that's a spot. The main event, the Output King Sanhagen versus the Chinese KO King. Besides Li Jingliang, Song Yudong, there's a chance to make a there's a, there's a chance to get some points down there. So, guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code Levy to get two hundred dollars in free bets instantly when you place a five dollar bet. On any football game, that's code Levy, my last name, spelled just like Levi Jeans, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So, again, thank you, DraftKings Sportsbook, for sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. Make sure you all hit them up. Use my promo code Levy, my last name, and uh, hit them up on that deal. Sounds like a pretty damn good deal to me. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Damon, the leech, Jackson. Should we still call him the leech? I mean, I know he fights like a leech, but you know my boy, Li Jingliang, is the real leech. Damon Jackson is 21-4, and four, taking on Pat Sabatini, who is 17-3. and three. 
And currently, they got it. Pat Sabatini, minus 190. The comeback on Damon Jackson is plus 160. So it's an interesting one. Damon Jackson's definitely looked better in this current run in the UFC. I mean, he's on a three-fight win streak. He's won, uh, he's won four of his last five, which is something I never thought I'd say back in the day. If you all remember his first UFC run, you know, when my boy – Holney Jason was was out there submitting him and you know Yancy Medeiros was out there submitting him, but now dudes turn things around. You know he's matured in the sport; he's come a long way. But he's taking on this kid in Sabatini. Who? Okay, so you know how I was talking about earlier with RoboCop, how like as a fan you love him, but as a betting man, it's kind of like certain things are questionable. It's the opposite with Pat Sabatini. As a fan might be a bit on the boring side but as a betting man this dude is a fucking winner like i know the numbers say his output is super low and it is super low but this is another one of these guys that can go out there attempt 10 takedowns in a fight and hit six of them like he did in his last fight attempt 11 takedowns and hit five of them and like he did in his second to last fight get a first round heel hook submission against a pretty damn good wrestler like he did three fights ago and decisively beat, you know, a guy he's supposed to beat and land a knockdown like he did against Tristan Connolly in his debut. So, look, it might not be spectacular what Pat Sabatini does as a fan. You know, you might consider him a boring fighter, but as a betting man, the guy's a winner. The guy's a, the guy's a little tank. The guy's cocked. The guy comes from a good gym. And for winning fights and winning rounds, I like his style. Now, with Damon Jackson... You got to be wary of a few things. You know, he's a big featherweight, five foot 11. He's got the 71 inch reach. They call him the leech for a reason. I mean, this guy will hang on to you like glue. And he's another one that can be relentless with the takedown attempts, but he's also a guy that I think will give up position and will kind of slow down as the fight progresses, like we saw in that last one. Um, granted the kid he fought was tough. It's just, if you're doing that against that kid who was just making his debut here against Sabatini, who's a proven round winner, that's where I kind of draw the line. So I get why people took Damon Jackson. Cause you see the plus plus one eighty or whatever the odds were. And you think it might be a one-to-one going to the third round type fights often more often than not. I like to be on the dog side. It's just that on the subject and the topic of being one, one going to the third round. I trust Sabatini more to be the guy who hits that last takedown to get the judges' attention and and just seal it off on the judges' scorecards. That's assuming there's not a finish somewhere along the way because these guys will be grappling and someone could potentially get submitted. Don't discount that possibility, but I I trust Sabatini more, and for that reason, I'll pick him uh, to win. And speaking of trust, these next three fights, I have no trust whatsoever in any of these fighters. Before I talk about these next few fights, can I, can I just skip these three for now and talk about my boy Daniel Zell Huber, who like I have a bet on, who I think is a fucking serious prospect, who I think is one of the best prospects we've seen in a long, long time. Like, let me can I skip this Louis Cose Aspen Lad Loma stuff for now? We'll get we'll get to that in a sec. Let me talk about Daniel Zell Huber. Like, I, I want to talk about Daniel Zell Huber. So. In the lightweight division, we're going to match up between Trey Ogden. He's 15-5, taking on Mexico's Daniel Zellhuber, who was 12-0. Daniel Zellhuber is how you pronounce it, actually. Currently, they got it. Where is this at? 
Danielle Zellhuber, minus 300, the comeback on Trey Ogden's plus 250. So I, I took uh, Dan, uh, Danielle Zellhuber at minus 245. Now he's minus 300, so odds-wise I did my job. For a kid coming into the UFC making his debut, I am very, very, very impressed with this kid. Like he, uh, out of all the prospects we've been seeing lately, this is one that, like, listen, I've been wrong about this shit in the past, but I'm going to at least give you my opinions before the fact, not just after the fact. You see all these fucking guys posting tickets after the fact, only if shit wins and be like, oh, I told you, rah, 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 but they don't have the balls to say shit before the fact. I'm going to say shit before the fact, and if I'm wrong, I'll fall on my face and take it like a man. But I think that this kid, Daniel Zellhuber, a couple of years from now, will be in the top 15, will be in the top 10, You know, assuming he doesn't suffer a an unfortunate injury along the way that stunts his growth or something, you know, something like that. But like, I think this kid is so legit, man. Okay. So firstly, he's a lightweight, 155 pounds, six foot one with a 77 inch reach already very physical. He's got some ridiculous striking, but it's not even about that for me because tons of guys have flash tons of guys, you know, can impress you knocking out cans on the regional scene. But like, what about this kid's composure? This kid went in there against Lucas Almeida, the guy that just knocked out Mike Trezano on uh, in his UFC debut. And he weathers the storm of storms in that first round and, like, is not phased. He's getting hit big time, and he's just going with it, showing his heart. And this is after, like, this kid, Zell Huber, was just running through literally everybody on his regional scene impressively. I'm talking spin kicks. I'm talking flying knees. I'm talking calf slicers, like the whole nine, every flashy move you can think of flying knees. Like I said, this kid Zell Huber has been doing, but he also establishes his jab. He can also get off on leg kicks. He can also fight fundamentally sound, but he's got that flash like a Yair Rodriguez, kind of like an early John Jones, like, I don't know, man. I like this kid. He looks serious to me. But you got questions about, okay, so where does he train? So he, he did his whole like career in Mexico. And shout out to his coaches that got him to this point. You know, mucho respeto, much respect, you know what I'm saying, to get him to this point. But he had to make a change. And for, I think he's, what, 22, 23? For a 23-year-old kid to get out of his comfort zone at that age, goes to Thailand, uh, Tiger Muay Thai for a few months, trains with all the Russians and all the killers there. Now he's in Vegas full-time with Eric Nixick as his head coach, molding him. I just think that we're about to be seeing something special with this kid, and like I could not be more excited about a UFC debut than I am about this kid, Daniel Zellhuber. And hopefully he doesn't drop the ball because you know he's, a, he's a, the, the scariest thing about it is that he's just a kid. He's a young kid. And kids make mistakes. But long term, I'm telling you, unless something crazy happens, this kid is going to be a problem. This kid's going to be a money machine. And I think he's going to I think he's going to scratch the rankings one day. So I love this kid, Daniel Zell Huber. Now his opponent, Trey Ogden, he's a veteran. He's a gritty guy. He's been around the block. He's fought, I'd say, minus Lucas Almeida. He's fought the tougher level of competition. But he's also lost to all the the quote-unquote tough guys he's fought and when i say that like the ufc vets he's fought 
what's the name of the kid that Mike Davis face planted really badly? The tall guy that runs barefoot. Um, Thomas Gifford. They fought twice. Trey Ogden took him down right into a guillotine choke two times, which is funny because like you hear Trey Ogden talk in his interviews and he actually seems kind of like a smart guy. It's just when he gets out there, ain't the smartest guy. Fight IQ and regular IQ are two different things. And Zell Huber's got both. Zell Huber graduated college and he actually fights like a smart guy in there. Zell Huber's something else. Now, I guess the big concern here is, well, what happens if Trey Ogden takes him down? Because, you know, Trey Ogden does have good takedowns. He's got good top control. He's got some good submissions. Trains with James Krause, this, that, the other. Okay, he's the veteran here. I respect it. So a couple fights ago with Trey Ogden. Let me pull it up. So Trey Ogden goes in there. I'm talking about like 2020, late 2020, against this dude Cody Carrillo, who was 15 and 18 at the time, is currently 16 and 22, is 40 years old. Okay? 40 years old. Trey Ogden takes him down. And this 40-year-old is able to get back up. Trey Ogden takes his back. The 40-year-old is able to get out of it and get back up. Now, eventually, the 40-year-old wasn't able to survive the later attempts. And, you know, he succumbed and got tapped out. But I'm just saying, if this 40-year-old can stuff these first few attempts, what's going to happen was if, if, if Trey Ogden even does take him down, we're just talking worst-case scenarios here because, you know, I did lay the chalk. So I got to assume, you know, I, I got to think about all what could happen here. You know, I'm, I'm not going to just be cocky and say that, oh, we're just going to knock him out with the first flying knee. That'd be great. But like, let's assume we got to overcome a little adversity, maybe a takedown or two. If that 40 year old two fights ago was getting back up against Trey Ogden, then who's to say that Daniel Zellhuber is not going to get back up against him? The difference is that 40 year old didn't make uh, Trey Ogden pay for anything. So Huber's going to make him pay and and how? And how he's going to make him pay badly. Calf kicks, long jabs, knees up the middle, straight right hands, question mark kicks, spins, submission attempts. So then you look at Trey Ogden's last fight against Jordan Levitt, which already losing to Jordan Levitt's a big red flag, right? I mean, when you're talking about like someone who has aspirations to be an upper echelon guy, maybe if you're talking about a lower tier regional guy, then okay, we can let it slide. But you have aspirations to one day be a ranked guy. Uh, you, you, you better be getting past Jordan Levitt. Now for argument's sake, for argument's sake, let's act like Trey Ogden won that fight. Okay. Let, let's just, let, let's just say that he got robbed, even though I don't think so. But let's just, for argument's sake, say that Trey Ogden arguably won the Jordan Levin fight. All right, let's give him that. The fact that, like, you were getting spar-touched up by Jordan Levitt with his, you know, little sidekicks that just slap and, you know, the dude's twerking, the dude's... Like, bro, that shit ain't going to fly here. This dude, Zell Huber, ain't about to be twerking. This dude, Zell Huber, ain't about to slap and run. This dude, Zell Huber, ain't playing around. This guy is going to try to hurt you. And if you couldn't hurt a guy like Jordan Levitt, you couldn't, you, you couldn't bite down that mouthpiece against Jordan Levitt, what's going to happen here against this six-foot-one guy with a 77-inch reach who's actually a legit prospect, a legit athlete, and possibly the future of the division. Possibly. I could, again, I could be way off on that. You know, I, I once said Johnny Walker, 
was the was gonna be you know was gonna see great heights but different guys different weight classes just saying i've been wrong about this shit before but i see something special in daniel zell huber i think he's gonna knock out trey ogden so i laid it minus 245 to win one unit and let's go kid let's make a statement let's come out here like you already had your tough test against lucas almeida you overcame adversity you showed what kind of heart you have you showed your balls you show what kind of man you are as a 22 year old kid and now you got outside your comfort zone trained in thailand for three months with all those russians trained in vegas with eric nixick one of the best coaches and minds in the game and i messaged nixick me and Nixick text from time to time. Um, because back when I did that show with Dan Tom on online movement, um, so Dan Tom's coach is Nixick. So Nixick came on the show. So I've stayed in touch with him ever since. So I messaged him, I was like, What's the ceiling on this kid Zell Hoover? Seems pretty special to me. And he said, Bro, pause, real fucking good. He's a problem. And I was like, say less, because I already knew that much. So yeah uh let's get it man Let, let's fucking go zell huber even if he loses this fight he's got a higher ceiling than trey ogden but i think he i think he knocks out trey ogden so let's get it all right i guess we can talk about these we can zoom past these last few fights next up in the welterweight division we got a matchup between trevin giles he's 14 and 4 taking out lewis kose who was seven and one currently they got it Trevin Giles, minus 205. The comeback on Lewis Cosa is plus 175. It's a tough one because it's like you got Trevin Giles, who's clearly more experienced, been in there with a much better level of competition, but might kind of be at the end of the rope. And then you got this kid, Lewis Cosa, who doesn't really have any experience whatsoever just got finished by a five and two guy who's no longer in the promotion but at least he's got less wear and tear on him but like it's not even like this is like some bright prospect or something so you gotta lean giles with the experience it's just giles has been knocked out two fights in a row giles looked really bad dropping to 170 pounds and surprisingly he's only 30 for some reason i thought he was like 34 35 so he's relatively still young i do gotta go with the experience i mean we're dealing with a guy who beat ryan span beat james kraus beat romando leads even the guys he's lost to are all studs lost to michael morales who i think has a bright future lost to drikas duplicy who's about to be ranked here soon lost to gerald mershart you know most submissions and in, in uh middleweight history and then with Luis Cose, the fuck has Luis Cose ever done? He beat a bunch of bums. Is basically it. I mean, look at the last few guys he beat. Victor Reyna, who is probably the best guy he's beat, but you know, Victor Reyna just couldn't quite get over the hump and make it to to the big show. And then prior to that, he beat a four and six guy. He beat a four and eight guy he beat an 18 and 42 guy he beat a zero and zero guy a two and three guy and a four and four guy so he's never beat anybody ever the only thing that he's got on his side here is youth but i don't know man 
I think he still needs a little bit more experience. It's just, can I trust Trevin Giles at a price like this? I personally can't. Maybe you can. I can't. I mean, when Trevin Giles is up on the scorecards and then instead of throwing punches, he's like, woo, and just doing a bunch of dumb shit. You know, you got no one to blame but yourself for laying that chalk on him. But I think most likely that jab is going to be there. I think that Trevin Giles is going to be able to mix in takedowns and just kind of give this kid a vet lesson. So I'll go Trevin Giles. Not interested at the price. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Aspen Ladd. Can y'all believe she's still in the UFC? Like, and I'm not even talking in terms of she's lost two in a row. Plenty of people have lost two in a row. I've seen people lose four in a row and still get a chance, like my boy Leonard Garcia. But you know why Leonard Garcia got a chance? Losing four in a row? I think he lost even more than that and still got a chance because Leonard Garcia bangs. Leonard Garcia brings it every single time or brought it, if we're talking past tense. Did you all see that Aspen Ladd versus Norma Dumont fight? Neither did I because I didn't even see a fight break out. I just saw two people stare at each other. That was horrendous. Like after that, like that one fight alone was enough to me. I never want to see Aspen Ladd fight ever again. And unfortunately, I had to see her fight again because I was in attendance at her last fight. Um, you know, the same night Hamzat fight fought uh, Gilbert Burns, the Volkanovski and Korean zombie fight. Um, so I saw her fight Raquel Pennington, do nothing the first two rounds and kind of come back a little bit in the third round. And then with Sarah McMahon, She's someone I look to fade every single fight. Um, I lost on Carl Hosa. That was annoying. Um, Aspen Ladd's minus 140. Sarah McMahon's plus 120. So it's like Aspen Ladd can't do shit unless she can get on top of you. From there, you know, she makes a couple sound effects that that make the ref, you know, kind of think that she's doing more than she really is. So I guess her ground and pound and her top control is whatever that's like the best part of her game aside from that there's nothing there's nothing to her game and with sarah mcmahon she's actually pretty damn good like physically speaking olympic wrestler throws big bombs it's just mentally like you put her in one bad spot and she'll check out so sarah mcmahon's the better fighter so i'll pick her which i never thought i'd ever pick sarah mcmahon but when sarah mcmahon's up to nothing and then she quits in the third round like don't 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 be crying about that so just don't bet on a fight like this i'll pick sarah mcmahon but the fact that i'm picking sarah mcmahon should let you know all i have to say about this fight right like if you ever have trouble sleeping at night pull up that norma dumont versus uh Aspen Ladd fight. You want to know something? There was some fucking journalist. I don't remember who. He made this tweet about... Y'all remember that fucking badass fight between Mateus Gamera and Armin Sarukian? And and he was saying all this shit about how oh, Mateus Gamera and Armin Sarukian has to be the worst uh, main event in UFC history. And I'm like, did your dumbass watch uh, Aspen Ladd versus Norma Dumont? Yeah, I, I get it. Like, a fight didn't break out between those two. But then Mateus Gamera and, and Armin Sarukian ended up being this fucking amazing five-round scramble fest, which even going into it, I was excited about. And Norma Dumont and Aspen Ladd had already taken place. And you're going to disrespect two top 10 guys like that? Disgusting. Atrocious. Terrible. I never want to see Aspen Ladd fight ever again. So I hope Sarah McMahon wins. But, don't you know, if she quits again after dominating you can't you know 
and you bet on it, you can't blame anybody anybody but yourself because she's 42 years old and she's pulled these stunts many times. But let's see. So I don't fucking know, man. I've already given you all my four bets. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> my boy VCR repairman said, I did tape study that Dumont lad fight did put me to sleep. Yeah, yeah. If y'all got insomnia, y'all got sleep apnea, just pop on uh, Aspen Lad versus Norma Dumont. And Norma Dumont does have some features I like, if you know if you know what I mean. But uh, that fight was so boring that it even overrode the things that we like about Norma Dumont. Anyways, next up in the strawweight division, we got Loma Lukbumi. She's six and three, taking on Denise Gomez, who is six and one. Currently, they got it. Loma Luke Bumi minus two twenty five. The comeback on Denise Gomez is plus one ninety. Another one where not crazy about the price. Loma Luke Bumi, more UFC experience, fought the better level of competition, but kind of tiny for the weight class. Luckily for her, Denise Gomez ain't exactly the biggest either. You know, both five two, five one, tiny ass reaches. Denise Gomez is a tough chick though, man. I liked. Uh, her contender series fight went out there, landed over a hundred significant strikes, doubled up her opponent on strikes. So I definitely think she'll give Loma Luke Bumi uh, an honest fight here. Um, landed more fights in that one than Loma Luke Bumi has in any of her uh, UFC fights. I guess I'll lean Loma with the UFC experience, but just don't be surprised, man. Don't be surprised to see it be another split decision fight that could go either way. People are crying robbery and this and that. You know, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Maria Agapova, who's 10 and three, taking on Julian Robertson, who's 10 and seven. Currently, they got it. Julian Robertson minus 145. The comeback on Maria Agapova's plus 125. Interesting. Maria Agapova actually opened minus 130. So Vegas was favoring her initially. Um, these two actually used to train together. So I'd be curious. If any, if any other trainers are watching this and y'all know who got the better of the exchanges, if y'all know the dynamic of how these two match up, I mean, I know the dynamic of how they match up. Jillian needs to get it to the mat, and Maria needs to keep it standing. I mean, unless Maria can rock her and then choke her out, but Maria Agapova, we've seen some flashes of some talent. Like She's a heavy hitter. She's aggressive, but sometimes she can kind of empty the clip and then get overwhelmed. Um, the Shanna Dobson fight was definitely a stunt. I didn't think the Marina Moroz fight was a stunt. I just thought she was in there with a much more experienced fighter. Marina Moroz has been doing her thing in the USC for a long ass time. So I just thought that was just an experience thing, but the Shanna fight was definitely, a, not an experience thing. That was, that was a stunt and a half, but the Sabina Mazo fight, I thought she looked really good in that fight. I thought her hands looked powerful. I thought she was able to take the back nicely and get that choke with Jillian Robertson. Her game has never changed. I mean, we know exactly what Jillian Robertson wants to do. Jillian Robertson wants to take you down. Jillian Robertson wants to choke you out or get top control when, uh, right out the rounds that way. And if she can do that, then she'll probably win this fight. But if Maria Agapova can come out here and stuff, Maria is going to light her up standing. On the feet, it's not close. I don't think that Jillian's going to – Jillian – it's just like back on the Ultimate Fighter when Eddie Alvarez was the coach. He's like, you know what Jillian wants to do? You know, if she can't get her takedown, she quits. You know, and all the girls freaked out when he said that. But, I mean, there's been this trend here. So, 
I guess I'm going to say she gets a takedown because we have seen Maria Agapova get finished twice on the mat in the UFC. But all I got to say is if Maria stuffs these takedowns, it's going to look like a hindsight big favorite for Maria if she can keep the standing. So we'll see. This fight comes down to the dynamic of where it takes place. And again, if any of her coaches or former training partners are watching and know the story of what happened when the two used to train together, let me know because, you know, maybe I can have an inside edge there. But since I don't have that inside edge, I'll just lean with Jillian to get it to the mat. But again, picking Jillian is contingent on her getting it to the match. She doesn't get it to the match. She's not winning this fight, period, point blank. So, yeah. Now, next up, this this should be fun. This, this fight I like. In the Bantamweight division, we got Tony Gravely. He's 23-7, and seven, taking on Javid Basharat, who is 12-0. and 0. These are two badasses right here. Currently, they got it. Javid Basharat, minus 165. The comeback on Tony Gravely is plus 140. Now, one thing to note, this one opened a dead pick him. So... The public really liked uh, Javid Bashra, and I get why. I mean, the kid's a stud. You saw his brother on Contender Series 2, also a stud. Usually with the brother tandems, there's the good brother and the shitty brother, but these guys, they both look good, so it's pretty awesome to see. And, and what I think Javid brings to the table is he's a very long bantamweight. You don't have to see bantamweights that are five foot nine. You know, he's got a longer reach than Max Holloway. He's got really serious output which i really really like a lot he's well-rounded he's lanky um he's gonna give a lot of people a lot of problems the thing is this kid gravely is much more experienced and gravely's a little tank man and gravely's a guy that when he plants his feet and throws in the pocket throws big bombs he's got knockout power and he can take you down. He's very, very heavy on top. He's got a good submission game. The only issue with Tony Gravely is this. He will be, like, dominating fights or winning fights, and then he'll just make a bonehead mistake or dive into a choke, give up his back, you know, be banging with someone and get clipped. Like, So, like, with Gravely, I don't think he often loses by decision. If I'm not mistaken, it's like you got to finish this guy to to really get to him, and you know. So I actually see this. It could I see the case for a dogger pass situation here, and just on the merit of like let's test where Basharat's at, right? Like let's test exactly what kind of prospect is he going to be? Because I think that Tony Gravely is like the perfect prospect tester in this division. Like kind of almost like Iwan Kutalaba up at 205 pounds. Like if you're someone who wants to make a run at that top 15, then you got to get past Tony Gravely. But if you're someone that's just kind of kind of be a middle of the road guy, you're not going to get past Gravely. But I guess the exception here would be that Javid Basharat is super young in his career. So even if he like loses kind of like a vet lesson type fight here, he can still come back from it and go, you know, go on to bigger things down the line. So this is tough, man. This is this is a really tough fight for me to call because I think that Javid Basharat projects to go higher in the rankings than Tony Gravely when all things are said and done. But sometimes these young prospects need to take a roadblock along the way. Could this be that roadblock? Possibly. Gravely is experienced, and Gravely is a stud, man. The, the only issue with Gravely is, like, he'll be dominating fights and just make that bonehead mistake and get caught, right? So this one I really don't know. <laughs> the way I'm talking, I think, is dog or pass. 
I'm going to lean Javid because I love the output. I love the tenacity. I love the well-roundedness. But Gravely's clearly fought the better level of competition, and you have to be on a certain level to go out there and beat him. So let's see if Javid's on that level. I'm very curious to find out. This is a great test for an up-and-coming prospect. So give me Javid, but I'm not laying it. I need to sit back and watch and just see exactly where, where he's at. And last but not least, in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Nicholas Mata. He's 12-4, and four, taking on Cameron Van Camp, who was 15-6. and six. And currently, they got it. Nicholas Mota, minus 200. The comeback on Van, Cameron Van Camp is plus 170. So, yeah, I've known about uh, Nicholas Mata a long time because shout-out to my good friend Robert Hale. My friend Robert Hale actually knocked out Nicholas Mata back in the day on the regional scene. And the only place you can see the footage of that fight is actually on this YouTube channel, Half the Battle. So make sure you hit the subscribe button. And if you type in Robert Hale highlight reel, You'll see the back and forth they had. They had a, a double knockdown in that fight. And when they got back up, uh, my buddy Robert knocked him out. Shout out to Robert. I was actually just at his uh, 30th birthday party on Sunday. And in addition to his 30th birthday party, he also had a gender reveal for his baby. And he's having a baby boy. And then to take it a step further, Sodiq Youssef's new opponent ju uh, just got announced. And it's going to be Don Shanus. And my, my friend Nate Williams beat Don Shanus, and Nate Williams is like best friends with Robert Hale. So they were both at, at the party on Sunday, and Nate Williams whooped my ass, and uh, he whooped my ass in cornhole worse than uh, he whooped Don Shanus in that fight. But that's neither here nor there. I think Nicholas Mata is a banger. I think he's a Brazilian jungle boy, to quote him. That's what he said. He said, I'm a kid from the jungle in Brazil. I come to bang, you know, and that's exactly what he does. Heavy hitter kind of ran into the man with the most fights in UFC history in his debut, but now he's got a more doable matchup. The issue is with Van Camp, um, you know, he is six foot two. He does have a 74 inch reach, which makes me question, how's that cut going to go? You were getting knocked out at seventies. What's going to happen when you do that cut to 55s? How's your chin going to hold up there? But not that Nicholas Mata's necessarily Mr. Durable. Um, I think he's more durable than Van Camp. I think he's more skilled. I think that he is another guy that got out his comfort zone, you know, started training in the States, which I really liked. So I'm a lean Mata here, just not crazy about the price. Um, but I just think he's more UFC ready. So for that reason, I'm going to pick Nicholas Mata to get this dub. All right, y'all. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then I'm going to get out of here. So the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 60. I mean, listen, if it's not the main event between Sanhagen and Song Yedong, then it's got to be the co-main event between Chitty and Jakawani and Gregory Rodriguez. I mean, I just think that I know Gregory uh, Robocop wants to draw that line in the stand, stand and bang and, you know, see who goes down first. And Chitty and Jaquani, he wants to keep his distance. He wants to chop you down methodically. He wants to, you know, be an assassin, be a sniper in there. And it's just going to make for much see, must see TV. So for that reason, two bangers, two strikers, you got to go with Chidi and Jaquani versus Gregory Rodriguez is the fight to watch. And my fighter to watch is my prospect, uh, Danielle Zell Huber, man. I think that this is one of the best prospects that's coming to the sport this year. Um, the ceiling, the sky is the limit. So I just want, I just can't wait to see what kind of improvements he's made with the close to year he's had to, you know, since his last fight with the new camps he's been training at with the somewhat favorable matchup he's got here. Like and 
that UFC debut. He's just a kid. How does he handle the bright lights? So a lot to see here. Like, I want to see how he performs. I want to see if this kid goes out there and shines like I think he's going to. So for that reason, Daniel Zell Huber is my fighter to watch. So y'all do me a huge favor. Smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. Afterwards, leave me a comment. Feel free to share this, tweet about it, you know, all that stuff. It really helps out the show. Um, I'll answer some questions if y'all got some questions. Um, I'm scroll up in the chat right now. I got a couple more minutes, and then I'm going to get out of here. So let's see what y'all are saying. Colby Chaos says, multiple years of track bets, over 1,000 units bet, 11% ROI on straight five picks. Out of those, out of those, 22% on slight underdogs and 31% on big underdogs. These are elite numbers, Dan. He also said, what makes it so great is that you don't risk crazy amounts per card. Everything is steady and methodical. Thank you, man. Yeah, uh, you know, now out here, you know, bullshitting, you know, laying 60 units per car. Like, I'm not trying to go broke. You know what I'm saying? You got to, you can't get rich overnight with this shit. I mean, you can if you're lucky, you know, someone's bound to win the lottery every now and then, but I'd like to get incremental wins over time and still be here 10 years down the line. So that's all it is. And, you know, I'm still not a finished product, still not perfect. But even though this is my best year, I'm still going to take losses along the way. And you just got to learn how to, you know, fine tune those mistakes, pinpoint them, be humble and just learn how to improve in all areas and find out what works best for you. So that's just what I'm trying to do, man. So I appreciate the kind words. Ghost Gardner said, Dan, simply one of the best out there. Keep doing it on a weekly basis. Keeps it humble, positive, mad respect. Thank you very much for your support, my man. I appreciate that. Rick the Ruler said, shout out Levy. I'm on song all day. Hey, for y'all that are going to use that drafting skill, it's Levy, L-E-V-I, but I appreciate you, Rick the Ruler. Jay Josh A. Poo said, San Hagen had a little time off. I think he comes in and looks fantastic. I, I could see it for sure. Ghost Gardner said, big uh, step up for song. Possibly. I mean, he was in there with Cheeto Vera, so maybe. Josh Apu said, nice hit on Liness. Thank you. Um, I wasn't sure if we got lucky or not. Neither guy did shit. I was expecting a fight. A fight didn't break out. But, yeah, I'm happy to cash an underdog on a split decision. Um, YBP Sports Data said, what up, Dan? It's song season. Hell, yeah. I hope so. Ghost Gardner said, betting against Robocop hasn't been profitable. Unless you bet that Armin Petrosian. Bernardo Oliveira Aposta says the best podcast. Thank you, my man. Damien thinks Robocop beat Petrosian. A lot of people think that. Um, Colby said, Burial used to train in Kung Fu Gym in Quebec City. Good move to uh, Sanford. Yeah, for sure. MC Riddle said, rest in peace, Elias Theodoro. Yeah, rest in peace, man. You know, it just goes to show you never truly know what someone's going through. You can look as healthy and vibrant as he did and still be having that you know that struggle for your life that fight for your life so yeah you know shit condolences man but this guy lived his life to the fullest so i don't i don't know him personally i didn't know him personally but safe to assume he didn't go out with any regrets you know he he did he did the thing man so respect um neo leo butler atl burner entertainment said yo shot shout your boy out atl in the building yes sir yes sir representing the a first and foremost always and always forever and always my man let's see let's see 
Dexter Pope in the house. What's up, my man? Holloway says, hi, Junam. I, I know who you are. Junam is uh, an endearing term in um, for Persians. If you all have never had Persian cuisine, you're missing out some of the best food on planet Earth, man. That Persian cuisine, so fucking amazing. Sai Lil Ladher. Sorry, I fucked up your last name. He said, it's 5.30 a.m. in Melbourne, Australia. Good morning, everyone. We'll surely watch this video again. Thank you so much for being here at 5.30 a.m., man. That means a lot. Um, <laughs> Jared said, if Trevin didn't fight like an idiot, minus 205 would be one of the best lines of the card. Yeah, you know. What can I say? Uh, Jared also said, never forget the guy on Twitter who said Gamrot Sarukin was the worst main event uh, ever on name value when Dumont and Lat headlined the card. Yep, we talked about this. Um, 802K Mighty said, car like this, I'm so glad you make these videos. I got to go and I will catch the rest of the video later. Sounds good, man. It will be up here and on all platforms. I don't know what the fuck it took so long for it to get to uh, Apple Podcast last week. That was kind of weird. But finally it got there. Um, Jared Curry says, I don't think I've seen a single person pick Lad this week. And if they have, it's on the condition of McMahon just pulling a stunt and throwing. I mean, that's usually the the condition for McMahon losing fights, you know, for the most part, except like the Ronda Rousey fight and, and the Misha Tay fight. But she pulled a stunt there too because she looked good in that first round. Um, <laughs> Rick said, Rosen Esparza was lame too. Yeah, it's, let's not even talk about that. My boy Andy G said, damn late to the party. What's up, Dan? What up, my man? Yeah, you can just scroll all the way back and just watch the beginning of this video, my man. Just another ape said basically the same thing. Did he start the stream with Sanhagen prediction? I sure did. So go just go back to the end. Um, Ken Noll said, what up, Dan? Any updates on the real estate venture? Yeah, I'm sitting for the state exam uh, October 7th. So, um, yeah, October 7th, I just got to pass that state exam. And then after I do that, I can apply for my real estate license. So, yeah, I'm very excited about that. So, y'all, thank you all very, very much for being here. Truly, truly appreciate it. It means the world to me. Hit the subscribe, hit the like, comment, share, retweet, all those things. You truly help out the channel by doing that. And feel free to DM me. My DMs are open. Um, if you follow me but I don't follow you, I don't see your comments that y'all leave me. But if you DM me, my DMs are open. I'll, I'll respond um, for sure. So thank you all so much for everything. Truly appreciate it. I'll be back. Uh, I don't. I think there's a week off next week, but then the week after that is Ian John Ann versus Mackenzie Dern. So I'll be back for that. We got a special guest for that one. Um, my boy, sparring with reality, actually, is going to be on that. Cool dude. Known him a while. So I'm excited to chop it up with him. Analytical mind. Should be fun. So thank you all again very, very much. Enjoy the fights. Uh, and until the next time, let's cash these bets.